Hello and welcome to episode number 129 of the Random Thoughts Podcast. That's R-A-N-D-U-M-B Thoughts.com online. I am your host, Darren O'Neill. On today's show, we're going to be talking a little bit about collectibles. I mean, we had the NFTs we talked about on the last couple of shows, which are digital collectibles. I wanted to talk a little bit about an article slash letter that Brandon Steiner of Steiner Sports sent out because I thought it was interesting for anybody that is looking at collecting sports cards, sports memorabilia as something of an investment. I thought his input on that was quite telling for where the business is going. But I wanted to mention a couple of things before that. The first and foremost is that we do work on the value for value model here on the Random Thoughts podcast. And we've talked about before, there's multiple ways for you to take part in that. One, of course, is the monetary donations. But then there's also turning people onto the show, letting them know we exist because we're just a little show. It's not like we've got a big marketing budget behind us. And one of the other things that you can do to let people know that we're here is reviewing the show wherever you listen to podcasts, whether that's on the Apple podcast ecosystem, whether that's on your favorite podcasting app, which mine is Podcast Addict, and they let you do reviews as well for the people that use that app. And a new review did pop up from listener Mark L. And this one was, uh, this one kind of made me speechless, which is not very easy to do. But he said, and I quote, if you're missing the voice of Rush Limbaugh, this might fill that void. No pressure, Darren. He adds, yeah, no pressure at all, Mark. Rush Limbaugh. I mean, I have bigger shoes, I think, than Rush Limbaugh physically, you know, coming in at size 15. I mean, there's a few people bigger, but that's some pretty big shoes I have to fill. It's that microphone of Rush's that is tough to fill. But as I mentioned before on the show, that is why we're using the RE20 from Electra Voice, the same microphone that Rush Limbaugh used. But I digress. Mark says he wish is he subscribed earlier. And we hope everybody else finds the show. And it is a true honor when somebody puts you in the same category as somebody of a Rush Limbaugh. And we appreciate that, Mark. And anybody, as I said, if you want to help the show, go to your favorite podcasting app and do a review for the show and let people know why you like it or why you don't. That's fine, too. I saw an interesting article that popped up on late chef Anthony Bourdain's one of his social media sites. And it is weird, I think, when social media sites continue going after the person has died. It's strange to see posts continuing to pop up. You know he's gone, but the people that work for his company, whatever, I guess, still putting stuff out. But this was a link to an article that was talking about these delivery services for restaurants that I'm pretty sure we mentioned here at one point or another because they are bad overall for restaurant business. This article was saying that the delivery service had really helped bring a few businesses back during this COVID-19 pandemic. 
being able to offer delivery where they had not. And while I understand that, I just wanted to mention once again that these services like Uber Eats and Grubhub do nothing to vet the people that are bringing you your food. So just understand a virtual stranger bringing you your food and they take 33% on average from the restaurant. So if you order $100 worth of food from your favorite restaurant and you have it delivered by Grubhub or Uber Eats, they're getting over 30 bucks or so in order just to bring you the food. But this article was about tipping something we may have talked about here before going out to restaurants and that. But the concept of tipping when it comes to these delivery services, quite often they allow you to put a tip in before you get your delivery, which I find to be a step in the wrong direction, although I understand why they do it. Because in this case, there's a lot of the delivery drivers that are saying no tip, no trip. Meaning if you order on one of these services and you don't pre-add a tip, nobody's going to pick your order. I was pretty sure. I mean, we are decent tippers when it comes to things we order in. And mainly that's been grocery deliveries throughout this pandemic. I don't think it was anywhere near random why we got the same person over and over again until recently. But I think it's because we actually tip well. When you do the grocery through our local little shop here, they go through Ship, which is a company that works with places like Target and Walmart and that. But they give you the option at the end that, well, this is after the order comes in. So it's a little bit different. But they give you that option. Tipping is completely optional, but it's appreciated. And they let you click $5, $10, $15, or you can put your own amount in. Usually I just go 20 bucks. And that's usually because we're ordering a couple hundred dollars worth of groceries. And that seems more than fair for the amount of work that's being done, especially because there's still a lot of problems for some reason with weird things being out of stock and shipped does a really good job with the people working for them doing your shopping to communicate with you while they're shopping and say hey they don't have this would you take this instead or what would you want instead and i can only imagine the extra running back and forth that that causes if people are slow with responding to the texts and whatnot but i always figured the 20 bucks was fair. And when it comes to restaurants, I always figured if the service was good, you go at 20%, maybe around up a little bit from there. I'm pretty sure I talked about one point seeing a video of a girl that was like, I can't afford no tip just because I, I want to go out to eat though. And didn't really understand the social construct that if you're going to go out to eat, you should tip. If you can't afford to tip, then don't go out to eat because the way it works here in the United States, Tipping's a big part of that when it comes to table service. Over in Europe, it's different and your mileage may vary. But I completely understood why that drivers, when it comes to Uber Eats or Grubhub, as evil as they are, they still didn't want to do the work if it was coming in at a zero tip. So if people are confused about that, 
I don't think they understand what's going on. I don't think they understand that tipping well will get you better service, especially if you're a regular at a restaurant. Or in the case of having the groceries delivered, we ordered avocados one week. And the shopper said, hey, how do you like your avocados? Do you like them hard or do you like them you know, a little bit soft already? And I said, well, a little soft because we want to use them right away. So the next week, ordered some avocados again. And then because she had done the shopping for us the week before, said, you know, they don't really have any that are slightly soft. Is it OK if we get you know, a couple hard ones? And sure, that was great. Having the same person do it, then it's even worth a little bit more because they know what you like. They know a lot more if they don't have something, what substitutions they can make. My mom tried delivery from her local grocery store a couple of weeks ago, and she ordered a loaf of rye bread. It didn't matter. Didn't really care. Wasn't particular to one brand of rye bread. And I believe that grocery store that they go to is like four, maybe five different brands of rye bread. But they were out of the one brand of rye bread that they ordered. So they just sent nothing. Which I'm like, that's a major fail. That isn't good. That's not a good system. Nobody was contacting them when doing the shopping. They just decided, well, they didn't have it, so we won't get it. So again, that I wouldn't really be tipping all that high on. That would be kind of a problem when your system's bad. But the services that do the food, I'm still against. To order directly if you can. Now, if the restaurant you want to get food from does not offer a delivery service themselves, there's really not much you can do. But there's a huge difference if you're ordering again. If you're ordering $100 worth of food from your favorite pizza place, Chinese place, whatever it is, and it goes through Grubhub, the restaurant is losing about 30 something bucks. Now, if you order that $100 directly from the restaurant and they have their own delivery driver, they're just losing whatever they're paying that delivery driver to make that 10 minute delivery to you, which is way less than that. So if you can avoid those delivery services and also understand that being a better tipper will probably get you better service. I'm not saying to throw money away because nobody wants to throw money away. So you got to stay on top of things when your cable bill goes up. Give them a call. There is a really good chance if you're dealing with Xfinity or if you're dealing with DirecTV, I know from both of these, from experience, from myself and my parents, is that when the bill goes up, you call them up and go, no, that's a little too much. Do you have anything you can do? And 99% of the time, the answer to that is yes. And if the answer is no, hang up, call back 10 minutes later, get somebody different. And then the answer will almost always be yes, because there's always wiggle room. They want to keep you as a customer. And we have a company that we use for doing some lawn maintenance as well that the bill went up. It just came in with the contract. And I emailed back saying, you know, that's uh, a little more than I want to spend. I mean, there is an amount for any of these services that you say, this is worth the time savings and the aggravation savings to me to put this into a monetary amount and give it to somebody else to do. When that monetary amount becomes greater than the time savings and aggravation savings, then you say, mm, I can do it myself. 
Well, this went up and I was kind of expecting this because the company that we use at the end of last season, we got a letter from them saying, hey, this is the owner. I'm retiring. I'm selling the business off to somebody else. It's been great. I never understood why anybody would sell a business that was actually making money. Just go to Florida and collect your checks. But I digress. We got the contract for this year and it had gone up. And I responded back. I said to my wife before I responded back, I think this is this is the idiot tax, which is there's a lot of people, especially today. We talked about millennials not wanting to confront anybody. So they are the best customers in the world to have a millennial. You could just keep sending them higher and higher bills and they'll just keep paying it. And I said, you know, I think this is the idiot tax. This is why it's gone up. It went up like 20% from the year before. So I fired off an email to the company and said, hey, I got your contract in the mail. It's just a little more than I would like to spend on this. I mean, I'd be happy to stay with you for another season if you stayed at the same price as last year. I understand that may not be possible. And if that's the case, perfect. But if you could, we'll stay. If not, we'll be looking for another alternative. And within a couple of hours, I sent it over the weekend. But within an hour of the business opening on Monday, I'd gotten an email that said, hey, no, we're fine doing it at the same price we did it for last year. So always be aware that you can challenge these things. Ask for a better deal. Be reasonable. But you don't have to do business with any one particular company. If you don't like that, they raise the prices. This includes your cable company, your cell phone company. If you don't like that, go somewhere else. Look for a better deal. There's almost always a better deal to be found, which is why rather than your cell phone company or your cable company wanting you to switch to that other company, they'll just give you the better deal. It works. Try it. You'll be happy you did. And if you save a lot of money, on something like your cable bill, because this is the first time you've ever heard that you could just call and ask for a better deal. And if they say no, ask for the retentions department or just say you want to cancel. They'll put you through to somebody to talk to before they cancel your service. I guarantee it. And if you save some money on your cable bill, hey, value for value. Send some of that our way. And Brandon Steiner is the guy that started Steiner Sports. They sell signed baseballs, memorabilia, all that kind of stuff. They're out of New York. They do a lot of Yankee stuff, some very expensive stuff. If you want to spend a lot of money on collectibles, Steiner's a great place to go. They have deals every now and then. You know the stuff is legit, so that's a good thing. And Brandon Steiner is an interesting guy. He's kind of the Gary Vaynerchuk, but of the sports world, and has been doing it way longer than Gary Vaynerchuk. And he put out a letter slash article because it came in an email. So it's kind of like a letter, but it was on a website. So it's an article. Either way, he has some interesting thoughts on what's been going on in the sports card collectible market. Something we talked about a little bit that Gary Vaynerchuk predicted this was going to happen again right about now because all of the people that are about my age in the 40s and 50s that grew up into the sports card collecting are now trying to get our kids or grandkids into it. And it is seeing a resurgence. I think COVID helped a lot for it to be seeing 
this resurgence, but there has been a shift in how people look at the collectible market when it comes to these sports cards that really resembles a few other things going on in the world. And Brandon Steiner starts out his article with, there is an art to card collecting. And like any collectible art, there is passion, there is joy, and then there is the monetary value. None of this is reflected in the current hype, the investment bubble being created around collectible trading cards. So he's talking about the fact that there's a lot of people now looking at this industry, not as a, you know what, I like baseball, so I want to collect the cards of my favorite players and maybe they'll go up and that would be cool. They're looking at this as a business, as a way to invest. And this coming from a guy who is very much ingrained in the sports memorabilia business, I thought this was an interesting take on this because it's a cautionary tale. He continues, quote, when a major newspaper runs an article comparing card collecting to a Wall Street portfolio, my first reaction is, are you kidding me? This reminds me of the cryptocurrency market. Who understands how Bitcoin works? No regulation, no comprehensible standards, but the price is going up. So let's put our money there. End quote. And that echoes a lot of what I have said about Bitcoin in the past. And I know everybody always wants to educate me that, no, you're wrong. And here's why. And I get it. I get how it works. I also understand that it will bottom out most likely at some point. Even experts in this market, in the cryptocurrency market, in the Bitcoin market say, you know, I think there was a guy just this past week who said, I think it could probably go up to maybe 300,000 or so this year, which is nuts when you know that it was at about $4,000 last year. But it could go up to 300,000. But, you know, we still think at some point then it's going to crash and lose 80 to 90% of its value. Losing 80 to 90% of the value of something makes it a very bad bet as an investment. As gambling, it's absolutely spectacular. As a gamble, it's great. But with gambling, you understand that your investment, if you want to call it that, can go to zero. It does not have to go up. And you actually understand that because it can go up so high, it can also go down so low. It's not a sure thing. And I think Mr. Steiner is absolutely right when he says that when you have people comparing this, this card collecting to a Wall Street portfolio, it is absolutely nuts. But he suggests rather than saying, let the buyer beware when it comes to getting into sports cards, let the buyer be educated. And this makes sense to me as well. He says, quote, do you know what you're investing in? Do you know where collectible cards come from? More important, do you recognize that the chance of finding a card that has significant value is somewhere between slim and none? 
He says collecting is a hobby with a business aspect. And he's absolutely right about that. The amount of cards that skyrocket, but this is where people get a little bit starry eyed. You see some of these baseball cards and you've heard a lot of them about the early baseball ones, whether they were the old Hannes Wagner cards. There were some early Mickey Mantle cards that are worth a ton of money. But the reality is when you're buying things that are already known as a collectible, this becomes the issue. When people were buying Beanie Babies because they were toys and then somebody decided they should have some value, well, the ones you bought when you were just buying them as a toy, well, those are the ones that went up. The minute somebody says this is a collectible and we're producing things as a collectible, things go down that hill very quickly. They start circling the drain. That's why Brandon Sanders said, quote, buy what you like, what you enjoy. If you're buying something just because you think it's going to go up in value, then you're probably going to be disappointed. When they started making these baseball cards in mass quantities, the collectible aspect of them, not really so good. Tops has gone, and I may have ranted about this over the last couple of years as well, but Tops has gone to a system where beyond just producing their yearly sets and, you know, whether it was multiple sets, there was used to be one top set, then there were different variants and kind of stuff like that. But they've now gone to a business model where they're producing cards on a daily basis, which is kind of genius. And I'm sure they're going to get into the NFT market, too, now that I think about it. The daily cards, though, are genius because, one, it makes it nearly impossible for anybody to collect a complete set. It forces a rarity because the cards go on sale for a, if it's still the same as it was a couple of years ago, they go on sale for about 48 hours. And if you don't buy it, well, then the only way to get the card is on, you know, a sale like eBay, go to a card show, buy from somebody else. You can't get it directly from Tops anymore. But they sell the cards when they produce them individually. It's like 10 bucks a card. And then they realize that not only could they do daily cards, but then they could do those daily cards and make an addition where there's only 100 of them. And then there's an addition where there's only 10 of them. And there's an addition where there's only one of them. I mean, they're all the same card. They're all the same photo. They're all the same information. But they just add an extra border that tells you why it's ultra rare and why it should be worth a lot of money. And some people are buying into that. I certainly don't. Brandon Steiner says, quote, to categorize this as something to put in your investment portfolio is outrageous and appalling. Consider the risk. A sports card investment means you are one athletic injury away from having a worthless piece of pasteboard. That's not an energy company having a bad quarter. A bad card never comes back. He continues, nobody really knows how many cards are being produced or the quality of those cards from a printing standpoint. Then there is card grading. Yes, card grading. This is one of the biggest scams of a business known to man. And I am so glad that somebody in the business, somebody with the standing that Brandon Steiner has, is coming out and talking about this because. 
the pricing on getting cards graded is absolutely insane. If you have cards that you believe are worth real money in the collectible industry, that's, you know, thousands of dollars. It will cost you hundreds of dollars just to have those cards graded and you need to have them graded. As Mr. Steiner points out, you can't just have one of these cards and put it out there for sale without having it graded because nobody buys them ungraded. You need them graded. It's a part of the business. And I'll quote from Brandon Steiner once again. Why are trading companies putting out anything other than flawless cards known in the market as perfect tens? Most businesses, including the printing business, have quality control standards. Why not an industry touted as the producer of an investment commodity? And he's absolutely right. The difference in some of these cards could be massive if it's graded at the top end of the scale as a 9.5 or 10, as opposed to if it's just an average eight and below. The amount can really fall, and he continues on under that same vein, saying, quote, it gets worse. If you find a card that has some value, you can't just go sell it on the open market. You have to go to a company to have it graded. And there are just two companies that have an oligopoly on the grading card business. Oligopoly, great word. The investor doesn't know the parameters for the grading. And whether his card is being graded by an expert pouring over it through a jeweler's loop, or some kid in a warehouse. Grading is almost completely subjective, so the chances of your card being graded a 9 or a 10, the holy grail, are infinitesimal. And, as oligopolies do, the two grading companies have tripled or quadrupled their prices in a booming market. Without knowing who is grading your card or what standards they're using, you're paying more than top dollar and waiting five to seven months for them to tell you if your card is worth $5,000 or $0.05, cents. you can send in a good-looking, clean, sharp card and get a 7 grade. While a 7 is called near mint, there is nothing near about the price difference between a 7 and a 10. And this is an interesting thing because you're adding a third party into deciding which cards are worth money and which cards aren't. And you need them because without the grading, the average person won't buy it because it's like, well, we don't know. And they don't because this is what people are relying on are these companies who you don't know how they're doing the grading. You don't know what criteria they're using. You would think if it was a criteria that was simple, if it was a criteria that people could understand, if it was a simple checklist, then any idiot at home should be able to grade their own cards more or less to within, you know, a half a point or so on whatever system. If you say, hey, how square are the corners? And if they're not, you take off this many points. You can sell a little device that would show you how square a corner is. You could probably do it in an app on your phone. Just take a picture, scan the card, and it could give you a lot of the information when it comes down to color and how sharp the corners are. And all of that, but that's not how this works. But if you want your card to be worth the real money, then you need to send it into one of these two companies. And I have been following this because my dad has some cards he wants to get graded, and the things have gone up 
so much, hundreds of dollars to get cards graded. And it's absolutely insane for something that should be able to be done for, you know, maybe a bucket card if you're being really generous. And the fact that they charge more, depending how much the card is worth. So, I mean, they're the same exact thing. You have a picture printed on a piece of cardboard or whatever type of board they're using. If you send it into these companies to be graded, if I send in a baseball card of some guy you never heard of that's not real good, well, then it's cheap to grade the card. If I send you in a card of Mickey Mantle that I think might be worth, you know, $5,000, well, then it's hundreds of dollars to do the same damn job to grade the card, put it in the little loose sight holder, and send it back. It really should be criminal what these companies are doing because it is, in fact, a major ripoff. Brandon Steiner says, quote, there are trading cards that if you could find a perfect 10 could be worth $100,000, but you won't find it. The same card graded at an eight or a nine will be worth $5,000. So let that kind of sink in. There is an infinitesimal difference, if at all, if it's anything more than just the whim of the person grading the card, they give you a nine. The value might be $5,000. They give you a 10, well, then it's 100000 because it's super rare. Super rare. And they do show you exactly how many cards get each valuation, which unlike the card companies themselves who won't tell you how many cards they're printing up most of the time and how many they can still produce after that. I mean, here's the thing. Everything in the world is a limited quantity. It's just a question of whether more is being made and how many were made up to that point. When the prices can vary as much as you know, between 5,000 and 100,000 based on one difference in a number grading, you can start to see where this scam is when people decide they want to try to do this from the standpoint of I can make money on this, I can put it into a portfolio. Don't do it. Do not try to do it. When everything exploded back in the 80s and 90s, I remember buying a bunch of sets. I think it was Fleer sets. It was a Frank Thomas rookie card. And Frank went on to be a Hall of Famer. So you would think those sets would be worth money. You know, maybe hundreds, if not thousands of dollars a piece. They're sealed in a box. No, no. So many were produced that we ended up just giving those away at one point to clear out space because there were so many produced that the cards became worthless. And this is an important thing to understand when it comes to collectibles. It is very much so supply and demand. Brandon Steiner says, quote, collectors come to me with cases of cards. In one case, a room full of trading cards. The entire room was worth about $4,000. Not exactly enough to send your kid to college. Not enough to buy a car, not enough to do a lot. We could probably buy a couple of nice computers with that, but what did they pay to collect that $4,000 worth of cards? Guessing more than that. These things, the concept that they're going to increase in value does not happen most of the time. 
Steiner says, quote, over the last few weeks, as the trading card as investment PR blitz goes on, parents have been calling me for advice as their kids are spending their bar mitzvah money on baseball cards, thinking they've hit the mother load. They haven't. First, they're buying the cards at the top of the collectible bubble, paying a fortune to have them graded. And in five or 10 years, they're going to come back thinking they've made the fantastic investment that will put them through college or jumpstart a business. Unfortunately, like the people who stockpiled cards from the 1990s, <laughs> like me, they're in for an unpleasant surprise as it's going to be another black eye to the collectible business, an industry that is finally being taken seriously. And these are words from a guy, again, who is very in tune with the business, warning you not to use this as a get rich scheme, as an investment. It is purely 100% gambling. And like all gambling, the house is the one that's going to make money. The baseball card companies, the sports card companies are the ones making money. The companies that are doing the grading services. Now, if you want to get rich, start a grading service because you sit there, you look at a card, you put a number value on it. You send it back. People treat your word as gospel and you get to make a whole lot of money while scamming little kids while grading their baseball cards. That seems like a great business as well. But these are who is making the money. These are the companies. These are the people that are profiting off of this concept that sports cards could be used as an investment, putting value on something that really shouldn't have value. It is a lot like Bitcoin. I know. Hate me. Darren at randomthoughts.com. Tell me why I'm wrong. I don't care. Bitcoin will continue to go up for a while and it's going to crash again. I guarantee it will happen. But I appreciate Brandon Steiner putting this out there, being the voice of reason in the community and reminding people that you should only be involved in collectibles of things that you enjoy, because it's the only way that it comes out in a positive manner 99% of the time. Every now and then, somebody may get lucky. But the reality is, if you're into collecting vinyl records, buy the artists you like, enjoy the records, don't sit there and look at them and go, oh, maybe this is going to go up. I think I mentioned that on one of the previous episodes, had that David Bowie record that was sealed from 1983. And before I played it, because this is what you do now, I guess, I went on to eBay like, wow, I bought this a year or so ago for 20-something bucks from my buddy over at Rediscover Records. I wonder what it's going for now. And again, the pandemic, I think, has really driven some of this stuff, and it was worth 50 or 60 bucks, but I opened it and I listened to it because I wanted to hear Bowie, and I think it was worth it. And I hope you think the last half hour or so listening to the Random Thoughts podcast has been worth it to you as well. And we do work on that aforementioned value for value model. If you want to take part in that, you can go to randomthoughts, R-A-N-D-U-M-B, thoughts.com. Click the donate button where you can send a one-time donation or set up a monthly donation through PayPal. You can use the QR code or the Bitcoin wallet address to send Bitcoin, or you can use the P.O. Box address to go the snail mail route. Let's not even talk about the fact that the post office for over the next 10 years wants to cut the hours for the people working there 
and increased delivery time. Yeah. Be open less, charge more and give crappier service. That's that's a hell of a way to go. Government run business, you. But for now, the post office still delivers our checks and we appreciate the people that go that route because we don't have to give a percentage to anybody. We do have one executive producer for the show today coming in with a check of twenty five dollars anonymous. She knows who she is. Big fan of the show. Actually enjoys listening to me, which a lot of people I know can question your sanity for that. But we appreciate everybody that listens, everybody that helps support the show monetarily through donations and everybody that does things like turning on other friends, family members to the show, doing reviews on places that you listen to the show. Again, Mark, I know we have big shoes to fill. When you start throwing around names like Limbaugh, but we will do our best and try to get at least close to the bar that the great L. Rushbo set. And we'll do that again on next Wednesday with another edition of the Random Thoughts podcast. But until then, I am Darren O'Neill. Thanks for listening. 